0: Let me just say, uh, welcome to week four of BLESS. And uh, if you're new with us, you've been hanging out for just a little while, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to you, special welcome. Um, And also everybody tuning in online, we're glad that you're with us. But uh, let me start off with a very, very simple question. Uh, What was your first job? Like what was your very first job? And if you are online, you can go ahead and drop that in the comments. But if you're in here and you've got it on your mind, you can share it with somebody right next to you. Just like if it comes to mind, share it with them. I know that some of you, it's been so long since your first job, that's kind of hard to remember. I, I, I get it. I imagine what that might be like. But um, my first job was a gym monitor at the local family YMCA. And so I got that job when I was 15 years old and had it through high school. And every day after school, I'd jet over to the YMCA and I'd pick up my big broomstick, big push broom, and I would get to work and I'd clean the gym and then I would check people in and I'd play basketball every day. And so uh, you'd think I'd be a lot better than I am. But for $6.01 an hour, I was a gym monitor at the YMCA, Um, but it it did have one big perk. I had keys to the gym. And so anytime my buddies and I wanted to play basketball, we could run up there. And so uh, those are some of the the perks about being the gym monitor. Um, But I I don't know what your first job was. Mine, uh, that that job, it got a little bit dirty, but it wasn't like too terribly dirty. My kids, however, uh, they've had several jobs, Uh, not just jobs that I've given them, but they've come up with their own. They're quite the entrepreneurs. Um, They've sold lemonade, they've sold Kool-Aid, they've sold Gatorade. And then once they exhausted that, in the late spring of 2020, they came up with this brilliant idea that they were going to sell crystals, crystals, okay? And so here is their wagon full of inventory. And so when I say crystals, I mean rocks, okay? So my kids, again, they, maybe it was because of their creativity or they were just going stir crazy for me and cooped up in late uh, spring of 2020, but, but this was their inventory and they took this wagon out by the road and I walk outside and I walk upon like the unveiling of this business because they're, they're starting off, they're opening with a special, okay? Um, five crystals for $20, okay? And so I hear them, they're by the road and they all have these crystals rocks, right? And, and so they're waiting there to say, five for $20. And, and their business plan is brilliant. So this was it. So to adhere to all the CDC guidelines and you know safe social distancing and stuff, their plan was that you could just drive by and throw $20 out the window. And then they would throw five crystals, rocks, at your car, right? This is efficiency that Chick-fil-A only dreams of, right? And so that was, that was their business plan. And so other than their hands stuff, they didn't get like too terribly dirty and there weren't very many returning customers, okay? But, but um, when I think of like jobs, I, I can't help but also think of this guy. Anybody remember Mike Rowe and his show, Dirty Jobs? You remember this? You can catch reruns of it now. Um, This guy, Mike, he would travel around and he would perform like just filthy, nasty, dirty jobs, real jobs that real people have, okay? And so he he would do this and and he would finish up every episode. He'd kind of give you this like behind the scenes look at what like people actually do. And he would always end up like filthy and grimy and disgusting in some of the most rancid places, right? And in this interview, he was talking about some of like the nastiest jobs he's ever done. And two stood out. One was a cow inseminator. And he talked about just like, oh my gosh, it's disgusting. And then the other was a sewer inspector. And, and he talked about like seeing rats the size of loaves of bread it's, and just like how disgusting and dirty that that job was. But, but the reality is when you think of jobs where there's some of your own or like micro and some of those, I think most of us, when given the choice, we would opt to not have the dirty job, right? Like Most of us, like, we, we would prefer to not be covered in grime and filth and muck and mire. But, but, but we're going to see today that Jesus actually performs a dirty job. And then he invites us to do the same. If you have your Bibles, join me in John chapter 13. We'll be there in just a bit. But Jesus actually demonstrates what a dirty job looks like. And then he says, hey, I want you to now go and do it as well. Listen, if you've been tracking with Northeast for a while, maybe you call this place home, um, then you're probably familiar with our mission. If not, this is it, that our mission here is to love God, connect people and make disciples. That is what we strive to do. We, We desire to exist for this reason, to love God, connect people and make disciples, but not just for our own selves. We desire to help others do the same. But so often, and if you've been in church for a while, you know that we can actually settle for just hoping people do the same instead of actually standing in the gap and helping people carry out this mission themselves. And so that's what this series has been all about. This BLESS series is giving us very practical ways to carry out our mission, to help one another carry this out. So we've been challenging and equipping each and every one of us to be helpers and spreading the gospel to the people that God has uniquely positioned each of us around. And very much the same way that in Genesis, the very kind of beginning of God's story that that God God is promising to use a guy named Abraham. All right, just listen to this for a moment. God said, hey, I want you to go and I'm gonna show you where. And then he says these words, I will make you into a great nation. That's a promise. And I will bless you. And if it stopped there, like, man, that's like pretty, that's amazing that God would say that, but it doesn't stop there. He says, here's why I'm gonna bless you. I'll make you to a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. He says, listen, I'm gonna bless you so that you can bless others, right? Like I'm going to pour out my blessing on you so that in turn, you can bless others and they will be blessed through you. And, And so we too desire to be a blessing. And again, that's what this series is all about. And we've got these biblical practices that we're unpacking each week. These biblical practices, these five practices made up from this acronym called BLESS, all right? B-L-E-S-S. And I want to predicate this message. I know Monty mentioned a few weeks ago, but all of this, like the majority of this content comes from this book called BLESS, And you can check this out, it's by um, Dave and John Ferguson. And so let's just say, if you hear anything that just sounds brilliant or profound, it's likely from this book, okay? All right, so like, don't retweet me, it's likely from here, but we're using this tool to help equip ourselves and one another to be helpers in carrying out this mission. Because we believe once we've identified the people God has positioned us around to bless, that if we carry out these little practices, that would be that much more effective. And so we started and we said that you do that by beginning with prayer. The B is you begin with prayer, you start there. I heard somebody once say that like, before you talk with someone about God, you should talk to God about that someone. Right? Like, we, we wanna take this seriously, don't wanna take ourselves too seriously, but our mission, absolutely, is critical. And so like, when we identify the people God's positioned us around, we wanna pray for those people. And then we wanna listen we want to listen. We want to hear that, that like what, what their ideas are and their opinions and their struggles and their hopes and their dreams and what they're going through. We want to listen. We want to check our pride at the door and, and listen to other people. And then when the opportunity comes to be able to eat with them. Monty talked about this last week of how central food was to the ministry of Jesus because it's so disarming. And when, when you've gathered around a table, I I had a buddy who once said that a dinner table isn't just a place to say grace. It's oftentimes the best place to extend grace, right? Because you can gather around this table and, and you can, you can have this level playing field together. And then, and then we believe that if you kind of work through that, that you will then uncover ways that you can serve those people that opportunities will arise either through conversation or just through doing life together, that you'll be able to, to recognize needs that they have in their life. And in us as Christ followers, people who are striving to love Jesus and love like Jesus, we have the opportunity to stand in the gap and to serve them like Jesus. But you, you know, before we dive completely in, um, like, I'll just be completely honest with you. Like, sometimes it's really hard for me to accept help from other people. Anybody like that? Like, like, I will YouTube a project to death before asking for help. You know what I'm saying? And like, sometimes it's hard for me like to allow others to serve me, okay? Um, but just this week, uh, like God kind of put this example right in my face. Monday morning, um, I pull into this parking lot and my truck is having issues, my truck is like kind of messing up and kind of stuff and it's leaking all this off. And And I come in, I'm pretty aggravated. I walk in these doors of this building, I'm pretty aggravated about this. And, and you have to see this is a string of, of a few like automobile events. Several months ago on our way home from vacation from Florida, uh, we totaled our minivan. Everybody's safe, we're all okay. But then we borrowed a car to kind of like, you know, like extends some time and the tire blows on that car. So we're having to fix that. And then my truck's messing up. So I come in this parking lot, walk in, and uh, one of my buddies named Adam, right here, Adam, he, he sees me and he sees that I'm pretty perturbed. And he's like, what's up, man? And, uh, and I kind of reluctantly tell him, man, my truck having issues, seems like it doesn't stop. And he's like, let's go look at it. And I'm like, man, I got, okay. And so we kind of walk out there and pop the hood and we both start looking. I'm looking like I know what I'm looking for. And Adam's like looking to see what's wrong with it, you know, but we're both kind of standing there kind of deal. And he was like, okay, okay. And he's starting to talk. And he's like, let me do a little research. Next morning, I'm working on this message and Adam comes in and he says, hey, um, let me get your keys. And I uh, said, so, okay. And then a couple hours later, he comes in, he slides them across my desk. He said, you're all good. Just fixed." I'm like, dude, thanks, man. Like that is so awesome. And he looked at me and he said, dude, isn't that what this is all about? like serving one another. Like, isn't that what the church is about? And it's like, yes, that is it, right? And, and you would think because people have served me just like my friend, because people have, have blessed me that I would jump at opportunities to bless other people. And, and I'll be honest, sometimes I do, but in a truth gun moment, there's many times when I see a need and I think, man, I mean, somebody should do something about that. And, and maybe, maybe you resonate with that, a little bit, but I believe that if we're going to have, have an impact the way that Jesus has called us and commanded us to have, it's going to take, it's going to take a, a paradigm shift in our thinking. It's going to take a shift, like for us to, to, to lay down everything that our culture says is important and bring status. We're going to have to lay all that down and to, to live lives the way that Jesus modeled. It's going to require a paradigm shift a shift much like this one in the late 1800s. Late 1800s, there was a huge paradigm shift in uh, the scientific field of physics, okay? And so they had, uh, they had gathered all of these scientists and they had determined that they had essentially, uh, that, that physics had, had grown so exponentially, they had so many discoveries that they had exhausted this field of physics. And so they hosted this big expo and all these scientists came all around Great Britain and they, and they come together and there's this guy named Lord Kelvin. This is him. Looks like a super nice uh, bit stuffy guy, right? Well, Lord Kelvin, okay, he, he takes the podium at this event and he's surrounded by other gentlemen who, who believe their own press and who are in awe of their brilliance, right? And so he takes the stage and he's just talking about like all the advancements that they've made. In fact, this is the, the name of the event in case you wanna get tickets on StubHub or something. It's called the British Association for the Advancement of Science. Riveting, right? And so they all come together. They pack out this place. Lord Kelvin takes the stage and then he, he makes a, a statement that has now become infamous because he stood behind the stage in front of all these people. And he said these words, there's nothing new to be discovered in physics. All that remains is more and more precise measurement. And the reason that that statement became infamous is because it was only a few years later that this guy showed up on the scene. And something tells me just about the mere, like look of Albert Einstein. He might not have been invited to that stuffy conference, right? But Einstein shows up on the scene and he he releases this paper called Special Relativity. So he releases his paper, and I cannot explain it, but, but here's what I know happened, that it turned everything that the field of physics thought about, that they thought was true, it turned all of that stuff on its head. And so, so including Lord Kelvin, for 200 years, they've been walking in this direction. Science has been going in this direction. Einstein shows up, and they have to do an abrupt turn and all start going this direction. It's a paradigm shift. It changed the way that people saw the world. And when it changed the way they saw the world, it changed how they acted. And, and, and that's what we're gonna see today, that Jesus, Jesus shows us this paradigm shift and he calls us to it. A paradigm shift, as, as Ferguson in this book says, it, it's from moving a place from wearing a crown to an apron. And we're gonna unpack that. So John chapter 13, verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. This is just kind of setting the backdrop. Jesus is about to go to the, to the last supper with his closest friends to celebrate Passover one last time, Okay. And then verse three, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. We need to pause there and realize what Jesus realizes. We have to see that Jesus understands his status. Jesus knows that he's fully God and fully man. He understands his authority. He he, he gets it. This isn't surprising. He's never caught off guard. Like, like he, he's not surprised that the cross is looming large in just a few hours. He's not. He understands his position and authority and continues and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he knew he was about to be elevated back to his rightful place. Then verse four. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so we have to understand the magnitude of what's going on here, that, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that Jesus is the creator and cultivator, the sustainer and savior of every that he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords, and no one is greater, no one is higher, no one is more powerful, no one has more authority, no one is more deserving of all of our honor and praise and worship than Jesus, okay? And Jesus knows that. And yet, he sets aside his crown for an apron. And it's a shocking scene in this upper room. It's truly a scandalous moment that, that the one who's set in the highest position has now kneeled to a posture of serving. But we have to understand that, that in a culture who, who's fascinated with good deeds and acts of kindness, that's not what Jesus is doing. It's not like he's completing his 33rd act of kindness for his 33rd birthday. And he's like, guys, I got this. No, no, no. No, Jesus is truly taking on the nature of a servant. Because we have to understand that washing feet before a meal in the first century was a must job. It had to happen. And here's why. Because the way that they would sit when they would gather for the Passover and they would gather for these meals, that they would all recline on cushions all around the food. And so literally their feet are kind of right there where the food is. And they're all like kind of like intermingled with one another as they're sharing this meal. And if that's not enough, then then we have to understand first century feet. First century feet, for just a moment, they lacked nail clippers, and they lacked socks and shoes and soap in a time where their feet would walk in the dust and the mud and manure and the muck. And so these feet were filthy. So it was a must job, yes, but it was a dirty job, Absolutely. Because you see, typically for a meal, the the disciples as they're gathering around there, someone would come in and do that. So I want you to imagine the awkwardness (laughs) as they're each at their their position and their plate and they start to look around and they're looking at one another and they realize they're the only ones in the room. I think about that. They start looking around and they start wondering like, (laughs) who's going to wash your feet? And they're trying to like make, you know, like look at each other and, and all this kind of stuff. They're kind of looking. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden Jesus stands up and he walks over. Maybe something's sitting there laying. I don't know what it looks like, but Jesus goes over and, and, and he takes off like his clothes and he takes on a towel. He's exchanging his crown for an apron and, and he wraps up in it and he gets a bowl of water and then he starts making his way around this circle. And he starts scrubbing the filth off of his followers' feet. And this towel that was, that was perhaps nice and clean is becoming just covered in mud. And it's, it's taking on all of the dirt and the mud from his followers and he's wiping them clean. And that's what's going on. And they all realize like, like, like what is going on? They, I don't understand it, but Jesus is doing this. And we have to understand that this was a, an honor and shame culture, that you would do anything you possibly could to protect your honor. Think about it like a credit score. You would protect your honor score at all costs. So, so washing feet in public would surely dismantle any like, social status that you have, and that's what Jesus is doing, which is probably why Peter was so appalled at the notion. And he responded with such a stern remark as Jesus made his way To the man he nicknamed the rock, get this, verse six. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Like think about this. I don't know where Peter was on the foot washing roster, okay? But it appears that Jesus has at least washed some feet when he gets to Peter. And he's kind of looking and he's like, me too? No, these chumps, they might not understand who you are, but listen, Jesus, my feet have walked on water with your feet. Like I'm ride or die and I know who you are, right? And like, I'm going to give you, I should. And and so he's kind of like wrestling with this tension here. He's like, you're going to wash my feet? And then Jesus says this, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. And, And Peter's like, I've heard that stuff before, man. You're always talking up here. And he says, no, 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 said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And he makes this bold statement. You shall never wash my feet. And you can imagine some of the disciples are like, I should have said that. Man, you know, this kind of thing. And they're kind of see, like, man, how bold Peter is. Yeah, ah, oh, man. Well, I want you to think about this. I want you to put yourself in his position. I want you to imagine that you invite somebody over for dinner, somebody that you really admire, maybe somebody who's famous, maybe somebody who's, who's very wealthy or very influential. Think about that person. For some of you, it might be Coach Cal for Surf and Turf. Some of you might be Michael Jordan or Taylor Swift for Taco Night. I don't know what it is for you, but think about somebody that you look up to and admire and you would like to have in your home and to serve and they come over for dinner and you feel so honored and you're serving them. and It's such a great dinner. You, you, you're so grateful for this opportunity. And then after dinner, you're collecting everything and you start washing the dishes and, and then they make their way to your bathroom, but not to use it, but to clean it. And they get down and they start scrubbing your toilet. Like, like, think about that. How awkward you might feel and how uncomfortable that would make you. That, no, 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 I wanted to serve you. And now you're like, and how like exposed it would kind of make you feel. You feel very, very uncomfortable. And that's what's happening with Peter. Only multiplied is Jesus. As Jesus insists that he wash his feet. We see this, it continues. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, he's talking to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. (laughs) Here's Peter. Look, Look at this turn. Then Lord, said Simon Peter, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So he goes from like, you are not touch it. And he's like, what? And he's like, okay, just wash me off. You know, this kind of, he's like, no, 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 no. And Jesus is trying to like, like, I want you to see this, Peter. And listen, very practically, this is what he says. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. So speaking practically, like Peter, button your shirt back up, right? He says, those who've had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And now he goes deeper and you are clean, though not every one of you. You see, Peter didn't fully understand what Jesus was doing here, and we have the luxury of looking at this story on this side of the cross, right like we're on this side of history and we can kind of look back and kind of unpack this stuff and we kind of see it all as it unravels but but we have to see that Jesus is just a few short hours from being stripped again this time by other people being stripped down and humiliated and and he would, he would exchange his crown, this time not for an apron, but he would exchange his crown for a cross. And Jesus would then go on and he would take on the full weight of our sins and our shame and wash us once and for all with his grace to restore us into a redeeming relationship with God. And that's coming. But in this moment, Jesus is washing their feet. And so what Jesus did in that upper room demonstrated the seismic shift needed to catalyze life change. And we continue reading verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet. So he goes all around the room. We don't know how long this took, but, but it's not like just dipping them in there and like, oh, you're good, you're clean. No, 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 he had to scrub in there. He gets, he gets everybody clean. He finishes washing their feet. And then it says that he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And I imagine the weight in the room. Nobody's talking. Everybody's just watching what's going on. Everybody's like confused and enamored and encouraged and like. But you also feel like, like should I feel shame or get, I don't know. And, and you're just kind of in this moment. And I imagine I just imagine. Doesn't say that I imagine Jesus is walking kind of slow to allow it to just sit. And then he breaks the silence with this question: Do you understand what I've done for you? I doubt anyone answered. Because in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, and they're hanging on every word. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, like your master, right? your, Your rabbi, the one that you have been following. Now that I have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He says, listen, I've blessed you to be a blessing. Like I've poured out my life for you to show you how to live your life for others. And, and, and he, said, he said, listen, the message is very, very simple that it's now our turn It's now our turn to do as Jesus did. It's our turn to serve the way that Jesus served. He said, I've showed you, I've demonstrated, I've exemplified, I've literally gotten down and served you. Now you serve others the way that I have. Matthew chapter 20, listen to this. It says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Think of the paradigm shift. That for all of our lives, since the Garden of Eden, we've known that like the higher you climb, the more status you have, the more power you possess, like the more authority that you attain, like the more you can leverage that to have other people do things for you. But in a moment, Jesus turns all that on his head. And much like that paradigm shift with Albert Einstein and Lord Kelvin and everything going the opposite direction, Jesus says, no, 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 listen, listen, if you want to be great, then you serve other people. You serve other people, continues, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man, he's referring to himself. That's one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. He said, just as I, the son of man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, guys, that's the example. I came not to be served, even though I deserve it. I came and I laid all of that down. I laid aside my crown for an apron, but then I laid aside my crown for a cross. I came to give my life for you as a ransom for many. And listen, if you and I are going to to carry out this mission of helping people know God, get connected and make disciples, instead of just hoping all of that happens, then we'll do it by modeling our lives the way that Jesus led his. And that's where this whole BLESS strategy, this acronym, this simple tool helps us and kind of guides us with it. We want to kind of work through that, knowing that as we walk alongside people, we're walking them toward Jesus. And so who are the people? Like for Jesus, it was very, very clear who the people were that he was uniquely positioned around. They were in that room and they had physical needs that represented the spiritual needs lurking beneath. Those were the people that he was uniquely positioned to serve in that moment. Who are the people in your life that you've been positioned to serve? Because what would it look like for you, for you to put down your crown and to put on an apron where you live? like with your spouse or with your children or with your roommates or your boss or your coworkers? Like, what would it look like for your small group, like for your community, for for our church to be a people who aren't afraid of getting dirty, but who choose to serve and meet the needs of those around us? Like, what would that look like? Because when we identify those people and and then we begin with prayer and, and then we listen to those people, and then we have opportunities to eat with them and share meals together where it's disarming, then when we identify and we reveal needs they have, and we're called and capable of stepping in and serving those needs. And so the question is, am I wearing a crown or an apron? Like that's the litmus test for all of us today is just ask yourself in those circles, these circles of influence that I have that God's positioned me in, More times than not, am I wearing a crown or an apron? Because we're all presented with circumstances and invitations to lay down our pride, to open up our schedules and and to lay aside our status and our comfort, to bless someone by serving that one. We all have that same personal mission. And so whether it's an apron literally like Jesus that you have an opportunity to put on to serve other people, or whether it's a, it's a weed eater that you get to pick up and, and to serve your neighbors or a broomstick or a hammer or a shovel or a wrench like my friend Adam. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you have an opportunity to pick up a frying pan and a spatula to serve people in your community, in your circle. Or maybe God has gifted you with the, 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 the spiritual gift of encouragement and, and maybe you pick up a, a pen and a postcard. And you help stand in the gap and serve other people through your words. Or maybe for you, it's picking up a bedside pan and Lysol because you have real opportunities to meet needs of people who need you. Or maybe for you, when it's picking up a stack of cones and a coach's whistle to stand in the gap where other people have failed you have an opportunity to serve those people. And and so what would it look like if we identify practical ways to meet and to serve the needs of those around us? Why would we do it? Again, it's not about acts of kindness. It's not. It's motivated by the same thing that motivated Jesus. You see. Chapter 13 of John, verse 1, it gave us the reason he did all of this. We read it, but maybe too quickly. This is what it says Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You see, his service was motivated by his love that it was love that moved him to act and to serve and to meet the needs of those around him. And so for us, it's love that motivates us to serve too. It's love that motivates us to pick up an apron. It's love that allows us to check our pride at the door so that instead we can be door holders for people to be ushered in and ambushed with grace and to meet Jesus. It's us who've been uniquely positioned in proximity to other people who have real needs. And then we have an opportunity to meet those needs, whether they're spiritual or mental or physical or relational, that God has called us to love in the same way that he loves. So church, church, may we do that. May we, we be people who choose to serve. May we be a church who's willing to roll up our sleeves, not only collectively, but individually, so that we can stoop down in the muck and the mud and to meet needs of the people that God has called us to. May we be a people who choose not to be served, but to serve, who see our neighbors and those around us as valuable masterpieces created in the image of God, who have intrinsic worth and value. And may we be a blessing by serving those people. Let's pray. Father, you are so deserving and worthy of our honor and love and obedience. And God, I'm so thankful for the example of Jesus, that you not merely commanded us to serve and to love, but you demonstrated that for us. And God, I'm in awe of the humility that that took for Jesus to lay down a crown and to pick up an apron and to go in and pick up a cross. God, I'm also grateful that you not only showed us what love does, but you empower us through the Holy Spirit to live it out too. God, may we be a blessing in our neighborhoods. May we, may we each be, be motivated by love to look for opportunities and to stand in the gap. And God, may we have what becomes an eternal impact by first meeting practical needs. So God, we ask that you empower us, that you embolden us to be a blessing. We pray all these things in our Lord and Savior's name, Jesus.